room, you guys can head to the, uh, the back and head across the hallway. Um, good to be with you guys. Good to be with the family this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Go to Matthew 28. Um, and then uh, we'll go over a few uh, things before that. But um, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. Uh, Danny Snyder's standing right in front of them, and Jeff, they're ready to hand them out if you need one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're free to take one and just keep it. That's our gift to you. We would uh, love to generously give out uh, Bibles as we love to study the Scriptures here, and uh, we believe it's full of light, life, and truth for us uh, from God Himself as it is His written revelation. So um, if you're visiting, we're also just glad that you're here. This is very simply just a worship service, so we love to worship Jesus by singing and, and talking about His excellencies and who He is and what He's done. We worship Jesus by walking through the Scriptures like we're going to do in a minute. Uh, we worship Jesus by giving as well because God gave generously uh, in Jesus Christ His very Son to us, and we're the recipients of that. Um, so our life is a life of generosity, and so we give in the small black box in the back many you online too. So thank you uh, for that. Um, just uh, many of you guys got the email about uh, Pastor John, one of the elders here at the church, and Noreen. Noreen's father passed away. And just thank you for your prayers for them and their family. Uh, God was gracious at the memorial service on Friday night and uh, lots of good conversations about the things of God and about Jesus. And uh, I, I was, uh, I don't know, it's weird. I, funerals are one of my favorite things to do. Uh, just because of the, the nature of it, uh, the life of the inevitable mortality of man, and uh, just getting to lay before us uh, the realities of what that means for us. So God was really kind in that way. Um, just continue to pray for them and their family uh, as they still wade through just um, and navigate what that's like. Um, to anytime we experience loss, it doesn't just miraculously go away. Uh, they need family. They need the church around them uh, for weeks and months to come. So thank you for loving them well. Uh, this week with cards and, and, uh, and texts and, and, uh, and uh, many of you guys who showed up Friday night. So, um, Lastly, uh, before we get into the message, I um, have some really great news to share. Um, do you want to hear it? Okay, you do want to hear it. All right, we'll do it at the end. Uh, <laughs> no, so I just wanted to say thank you for your endless faithful prayers over the Paramus Project. Um, last seven months about, we've been waiting for the final permit to let us do the remainder of the work, and uh, through whatever reasons that God uh, was refining us through, uh, we've been on pause, and so you guys have been asking, you've been patient. Uh, great news that we got fully approved on Friday, 100%. Yeah, super thankful, super excited. So, uh, Monday morning tomorrow, well, it'll be picked up, and then uh, hand of the plow, uh, full steam ahead, <laughs> uh, we'll be breaking stuff and, um, and just putting up some walls. So uh, really super thankful. That's a great thing to celebrate. Um, don't ask me about timeline, because uh, I know that's, you know, that's going to be your email at 1 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> but uh, look, we're, we're, we're praying for four to five months. Uh, it could be sooner. Uh, we just... I've learned not to give any timelines. So, uh, but no doubt, that is a massive hurdle that's out of the way. We're moving forward. Um, just, just thankful for God's kindness. So continue to pray uh, over that, that God would use it for his glory, that he would use it to uh, reach many, save many, sanctify many, um, that he continue to, he, he has shown up miraculously throughout this process. 
um, just his hand. I know a number of months ago we just shared the ways that even through parking agreements and moving in the landlord's heart and moving in the, the, the town's heart, uh, he's just been super kind. So this is just another evidence of his kindness to us. Uh, he decided to answer. Many of us went for that prayer walk around the building uh, a little while ago, and he answered it uh, on Friday. So um, we're just thankful for that. So keep praying, um, and remember that uh, a lot of times when there is celebration and God moves, that the enemy loves to work harder uh, against the church of Christ. So uh, let's continue to uh, pray fiercely against that. So, all right, why don't we uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28, uh, is where we're going to be this morning. Um, here's what we normally do. If you're just kind of uh, new to this church or, or just jumping in, came with a friend, we normally walk through books of the Bible line by line, verse by verse, because we want to see the, the fullness of what God might have to say to us as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. So we've been going through the gospel of Luke. It has been an enriching study. It's been an edifying study. It's been awesome to look at Jesus, to look at his life, to look at his teachings and see how we might be made more like him uh, in the image of who he is. And so uh, what we did through also just some prayer and discernment is um, uh, God was just kind of leading, hey, let's take four weeks just to take a pit stop and walk through what Church at Bergen is and why we exist and how we operate as a, as a faith family, as a local assembly, as God has really saved and is saving his church and then it's spread out local context. Um, we just wanted to say and realign ourselves with how has God called us specifically, how do we see his mission here? And so that's what we're doing. So last week, in case you missed it, um, this is basically just uh, the mission statement of this church, and here's how we tried to come up with it. We didn't try to uh, find all the cute phrases and play Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and put them together and just come up with just a, a weird line of phrases. We really wanted to look at the Bible and say, okay, how has, how has God and his infinite wisdom, his infinite knowledge, what is his purpose in enacting, displaying, birthing, and saving the local church, the, the redeemed people of God? What's the ethos of how they live? And this is what we saw in the scriptures, and this is how it came out in our mission statement. We exist, so, so this church exists. We really believe that this is why the, the church at large exists, um, not in an arrogant way, just, just a fundamental way of looking at the scriptures, to bring glory to God. So we looked at that last week, that the, the first thing above all things is we exist primarily not for ourselves, but for him. Okay, so, so God's mission is for himself. He wants to be brought glory, he wants to be brought praise, he wants to be brought worship, and he does that through his local church. So the reason this is so exciting is this makes our worship of him a joy and not a burden, right? We don't just begrudgingly say, well, he sends me to hell so I better behave, then I'll go to heaven. No, we say, man, the more we make much of him in our lives, the more joy we have, the more life we have, the more freedom we have. And so God is not about at all. I don't know what you've been taught, I don't know what you've been taught through your history of growing up in church, maybe thought God was just all about you, you're the center of the universe and that everything revolves around you and God just, you know, you're kind of, you know, bus boy who does whatever you want, that's not the God of the scriptures, he says, I'm so great, I'm so glorious that when you enjoy me more, I'm going to make much of myself in you, you're not going to make much of yourself. Okay, so that's what God's after. That's his, that's his heart. And so we've been seeing last week that this is a serious thing that God loves. And we looked at just all these scriptures that talk about that reality, that God's about his own name, God's about his own renown. Then we looked at kind of some signposts throughout Old Testament and the New Testament, how God tried to reveal his glory and call people back to the glory they forfeited worshiping. In Genesis 3, we saw it in the face of Moses. We saw him build a tabernacle. We saw him build a temple. Then ultimately, right, the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature comes in the person work of Jesus Christ and then as Christ who is the glory of God right he's the one we look at to understand what God is like and what his glory is like and and as he ascends he actually puts his glory in the church so we said okay now that's why the church exists to glorify God 
and to image his glory. And so we're going to see how that rolls out. So we're just going to take this morning this idea of make disciples. Okay, because one of the ways, I think the primary way, the edict from Christ we're going to read in Matthew 28 is you bring glory to God by making disciples. And I want to chat about what that looks like, what that means. And, and let me just say this. I know I'm going to step on toes. I know hairs are going to bristle. Um, I know that this is kind of even maybe a foreign concept to a lot of you in North Jersey in this area. Like making disciples, discipleship, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that play itself out? So um, I, I get that. So my encouragement to you is, is if your heart rises, if, if you don't like something, if it's pushing back, just ask yourself why. That's all I got to do. And then let's look at the scriptures as always our mirror and say, okay, is it pushing back because Mike's a heretic? Because I could be. Or is it just, is my heart pushing back? I don't know. I, got, I'm, I am fallible, right? I'm not like the Pope. I'm not in. That was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me explain this real quick. Was watching TV and there was this news broadcast where they're making this special coffee for the Pope. You know, he's here visiting. And this guy actually made this, this coffee. He, he was like, in, in the whole America, he like won the best guy who understood what the best coffee tasted like. I don't know how you win that, but he's moving the beans, tasting them, and then he makes the Pope a bunch of coffee for his trip. And they said on national television, how do you make? They asked him, how, what was it like making coffee for someone who's infallible? Right? I mean, so this is a common thought, right? Common understanding. We know, according to the scriptures, no one is infallible. Jesus Christ is the only one who was. So, so that was a uh, bad joke. Uh, anyways, so I, I, I just wanted to clarify that, that I am fallible. And, and listen, God's word is perfect, not the preacher, but God uses imperfect people to speak a message. So if there's anything that I say that you're, you're wrestling with or you're pressing back against, just go back to the word. Let's go back to the scriptures and say, okay, is this right? Why is my heart reacting that way? It's a really helpful thing to do anytime you listen to the scriptures. So let's go to uh, Matthew 28. And this is after we see... Um, that God is choosing to display his glory through a covenant community of people. They're supposed to be the, the flagship of his glory. That's why he's established the church. He's put his glory in them through his Holy Spirit. And uh, here is what Jesus says this after the resurrection, before he ascends. He says in verse 18, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, let me say, the rest of what you're going to hear is not exhaustive on discipleship. This is more high level. This is why we exist. We're actually going to get into a lot of the nitty gritty when we get back to Luke. Uh, Luke deals a lot with discipleship, what that looks like, how that plays out. But this is just more high level. Why do we at Church of Bergen believe that we must be about making disciples? Okay, so here, here's the edict from Jesus Christ, right? Before he ascends, he is in, in glory. He has risen from the dead. He has defeated sin. He's hung on a cross. He's bared the wrath of God towards sin and all who would repent and believe in him. So, so this is a, a great statement. We want to listen. We want to pay attention to what he's saying. And he makes this awesome statement. He says, all authority has been given to me, and here's what you're supposed to do. Go make disciples of all nations, right? And this is the great question because if God has chosen to use his local church as a flagship for his glory, then we need to ask the question, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be about? I mean, how do we grow in imaging more and giving greater glory to God? And I think Jesus answers it here. He says, go make disciples. Now, we have to chat about this because this is really huge. Uh, that word go is crucial in this text in understanding it, 
Okay? Now, many people, theologians around, around the bank, a lot of pastors believe that go primarily means that we go to the ends of the earth. Okay, that it's, that, it's, that it's active, that we are supposed to infiltrate to the farthest ends of the seas. Now, is that in there? Sure. Is that a part of Christ's edict and to go? Absolutely, to go to all tribes, all tongues, all people. Is that, do we want to see Revelation 7 happen? Yes, we do. Do we long here at this church to see people far from God brought near, that we want to see churches planted and missionaries sent, and people saved and reconciled to God? Do we want to see that? Yes, we want to see that. But a few things, I think, to help us understand this, there's a couple things you have to understand. First, that word go is not active, it's passive. And here's why this is so important to understand. Jesus is not simply saying, go and convert people. He's saying, as you go, make disciples. As you live your life, it's passive. As you work, as you stay at home as a, a mom, as you do architecture, as you do dentistry, as you do construction, as you teach, as you, as you go, make disciples. That, that's what this means here. That's what Jesus is, is saying. Jesus is saying, as you, as you live your life, you make disciples. As you go about your normal day-to-day agenda, make disciples. Second, that word make disciples, that, that verb is very complex, and it actually gets at making learning believers, Okay, so, so we're not about people just making a verbal one-time commitment or someone just saying, hey, yeah, I'm all about, I'm morally conservative now or I'm all about you know, joining this church now. That, that's not where it ends, right? These, these have to be together. You have to then walk alongside and grow up people in grace through the help of the Holy Spirit as God has designed the covenant community to make people who look like Jesus and image his glory. So, so this is a process, this is a as you walk, as you go, we are maturing and growing in grace as learners of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John 8. He's talking to the Jews who believed him. What does he say? If you continue in my word, you're my disciples. He doesn't say if you just decide that I like you. And here's the other thing, and this might shock some of you. Did you know that to be a Christian is to be a disciple? It's, it's not that you choose Jesus somehow, you become a Christian, and then later you decide to follow him. Okay? It's a huge distinction here. We're not, we're not saying that all of a sudden you become a disciple later. No. You, by nature of being transformed into the image of Christ, at moment of conversion, right, that happens at one point, but then from then on there's this continual abiding in, this continual walking alongside, this continual growing up in grace, understanding the riches of the gospel more and more and more, so that as you go, that's rubbing off on everybody else. You're applying gospel truths to every area of your life. So this idea of discipleship is an ongoing, continual, productive, personal process. That's what Jesus is saying here in Let's Go Make Disciples. Jesus is saying this is the mission of the church, is to make learning Christians, learning believers in all nations. I want to see people grow up into the head of the church, which is Christ. I wanted people to continually be pressing in and leaning into the sovereign of all things who is made flesh in Jesus. I want you to continue enjoying the personal work of Jesus in Christ crucified. Don't, don't ever stop doing that. And you should be growing in maturity, right? There's, there's movement there. Now, before we dig into what that looks like here, I'm an aspect I said is definitely opening, opening our mouths. 
Okay, there, there has to be an aspect of that, right? So you don't get off the, the cuff with, well, I just, I don't need to tell anybody, I just need to find the Christians and then walk alongside them. Okay, well, you gotta, you gotta disciple people at, who at one time were dead in their sin and not made alive in Christ. So that, that's part of this process. So let me just tell you, listen, um, that could happen relationally with, with neighbors, with people you know. That could happen just with strangers. A lot of you guys are wired differently. We're going to look at, uh, in, a, in a little bit, 1 Corinthians 12, how we've been gifted different ways and uniquely wired by God and fashioned by God for this purpose of disciple-making. Okay, it doesn't look the same for everybody. But let me, let me just say, um, I don't know what's easier for you, but, but, but walk in that. And listen, I know that, that for me it's a little bit easier with strangers because all I have to do is ask people what they do, right? What do you do? Uh, I'm a financial advisor. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Got them. Right? I mean, that's it. They, they usually either run and flee from me, or they're like asking questions. I mean, just the other day, there's a coffee shop I like to go into about once a week where I like to write and study, and um, I'm getting to know people there for the purpose of having gospel conversations. And you know, there's two young guys who are in college behind the desk, and just the other day, I walked in there, and they're like, hey, Mike, um, what do you do? Dan and I were chatting, and we're just like wondering what you do. <laughs> I didn't even have to ask, right? So I, I'm like, oh, here it goes, here it goes, because I like... I like, you know, not letting people know I'm a pastor and then just kind of living and, and, and doing my thing and then they can ask later. Otherwise, they just sh- totally block me off, you know. So I go, I'm going to give you five guesses. I loved it. I was like, I'm going to have a game with it. I'll give you five guesses. You get to just pick what you think I am and I guarantee you're not going to guess. So they go through, I'm not even going to tell you what they thought I did. Uh, so, so embarrassing. I'm like, well, I guess I kind of do that. So they, they yeah, so I, I started giving them clues. Give us clues, give us clues. So I was like, well, uh, it's kind of a seven-day-a-week job. Sunday's a big day for me. They're like, oh, Sunday's a big day. Uh, restaurant, you're a waiter. I'm like, I don't know how that fits in. Then the accountant, because apparently tax season. I'm like, it's not tax season. Tax season was, they never got it. And there's a lady standing next to me at the counter. She's listening the whole time. She just looks over at me, not happy, and she just goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? Bingo, right? So then, then they just start throwing coffee. They're just like, no way, you're a pastor. They're just like, where's your collar? I don't have one. You know, like it's just, it was just insane. So, so that rolled out into conversation. And man, what do you do? And how do you, what, what do you, what, where do you teach? I gave them the website. I'm like, I'm not trying to force anything on you, but that's where I preach. You can find out all, everything you want to know about me. You'll hear crazy sermons and different things I give, but talk about Jesus and who he is and preach the Bible. And so look, I know there's different ways that that's going to fall into your lap and happen to you, but man, we just got to keep our eyes open. That's just part of just viewing the world through that lens. And how are you going to make disciples? Where do you go in the environment you're at? And that's why, let me me just help us just for a minute. Listen, you don't need to go looking. Like I, I just hear this all the time. I need to go, I don't know, I'm just looking under the bushes for the people God is did you know that, that God has sovereignly placed you in the neighborhood you live for how long you'll live there? He's placed you in the job you will work for how long you will work there before you ever knew that. You're part of his sovereign plan in making disciples where you are. So as you go, you make disciples realizing part of God's plan are those people around you and you're a part of the plan. So, so don't go looking under the bushes. There's no cosmic Easter bunny. Like There's no need to find that. You say, okay, God, here's where you place me. So Kristen and I try to do that. We just moved from the east side of 17 to the west side of 17. Didn't know that Route 17 was like the Red Sea divide of Bergen. <laughs> Had no idea. I get scowls. I get high five. I don't know what I'm going to get when I say, yeah, we moved over to this side. Oh, you moved on that side. Didn't know. But anyway, so we're, we're over there now. We're, we're in the neighborhood, and we just started engaging with neighbors. My wife is great. She baked cookies, walked around all. Neighbors just say hi, introduce themselves, went through the same thing. Why'd you move here? What do you do? Some shut their doors. Some let us in. 
uh, you know, it's a very funny thing, but, but ended up finding two women on the street. Both lost their husbands. One lost their husband 10 years ago. Uh, has a 13-year-old son. Just started engaging with him out on the street. Shoots basketball. Um, doesn't have a father figure. Another lady, Brenda, lost her uh, husband two days before we moved into the house. I mean, just insane. Broken, grieving. Pray with her on her front doorstep. I mean, there's, just, there's opportunities everywhere. You just, you just got to have your eyes open. And this is not some big like, man, you got to lay out the systematic theology of the Western Catechism or something. You, you just go love your neighbor. Go talk to him. Go open your mouth with intention of sowing gospel seed. Listen, I'm telling you, they're there in the providence of God. That's why they're there. You don't need to go looking. God's already put you in your workplace for a reason. Who you sit next to, who you rub shoulders with frequently. This is why we engage our neighbors. And so let's just, that, that's part of this, right? Imaging the glory of God in our sphere of influence. But the aspect I want to camp out on here is this command to make learning disciples, right? After people trust in Christ, what does that look like among us as a covenant community of people? Because I think that's where Jesus is digging at, right? So making disciples, not just simply sharing the gospel, it's joining and walking alongside the lives of disciples they can grow in the image of Christ. Let's look again at Matthew 28 here. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so what is a disciple? Someone who observes and obeys all that Christ has commanded. Disciple by definition means you're, you're a pupil, you're a learner, you're a student of someone. And this is why we are so passionate about not seeing people just have a cool experience here. We want us to grow up in Christ. We want to be learners and matures and followers of Jesus Christ. We want the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue to go deep into our hearts, right? We don't just want to live comfortable lives where we never let anybody in, we're never transparent, never vulnerable. That's never a call to church. (laughs) You're not going to see it anywhere because his goal for you is to dig and expose those spaces in your heart so you can walk in greater freedom and walk in greater life. And we're going to show how that kind of flushes itself out. So, so, before we go any further, let me just ask a question, um, and it's the most important question this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? So, so for some of you, the answer is yes. I mean, I am a learner of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in glad submission to him. What, whatever he wants of me to mature in my walk, to be a learning Christian, I'm in. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be resistant. Doesn't mean I'm not going to push back a little bit. But I know he's for my joy. I know he's after my maturity. He's after my holiness. I know he wants me to grow up in the head, which is Christ. So, okay, whatever he wants of me, I'm, I'll do it. Okay, that, that's, that's the first person, right? You're, you're a Christian. Because that's what a Christian is. You're a disciple. And you're after that. Your soul's hungry for that. Okay? The other is, you're not. Okay, you're like, no, I'm here just kind of checking out who Jesus is. I, I don't really know who he, who he is. I don't really know what discipleship is. I've never even heard of this concept before. And Okay, so, so listen, all of these things I'm going to say here on out, definitely listen, but you need to deal with your position before the God of the universe. Right, who says you have belittled his name, who says that you have committed sin against him, that, that you love glory for yourself more than you love giving him glory, and you think you're going to find more life there, you think you're going to be happier there, you think you're going to be more joyful there, and your life is just a cul-de-sac of misery, bitterness, anger, resentment. You can never find a way out. 
You keep looking for something different. And he wants you to repent of that sin and turn to him, the one who absorbed all the wrath of God towards you in your sin, who became the sin for you on the cross. He offers his very righteousness so that you don't have to do anything to merit his love and affection. It's done in what he did. So that's what you've got to deal with this morning. Okay, but for those of us who, so understand it in light of that, okay? That's what we want for you. We want you to know Christ. We want you to be forgiven of sin. And we want you to understand what that means for you. We want to be clear on that. We don't want you to have some mistaken understanding of what it means to become a Christian. So hopefully this will help clarify some of that. How does this flush out? Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, a great passage on who we are as the body of Christ. How does this making disciples flush out in this context? And ultimately, we're going to see how all of this serves bringing glory to God, which is the chief aim of our lives. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 12, start there. For just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, make it any less, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This understanding of members of the body, each of us intrinsically woven into our souls by God to be a different part of the body is massively important, okay? Because for us to grow up into the head, which is Christ, we have to operate in the way he's already woven our DNA together. Your loves, what you're like, how you're wired, Okay, because the body needs all of us. So we can't grow in the fullness of sanctification if you are not a part of it. So you can't say, well, church doesn't really need me or I don't really need the church because I'm the ear out here. Well, the body would look deformed, it would look weird, it wouldn't operate correctly. So God in his providential infinite wisdom throws together in the local church everybody he knows that needs to be there to operate in a way so that discipleship happens in a fruitful and edifying and holy way. That you're necessary. Isn't that beautiful? Not because you're worthy, not because God needs you, but because of his goal for the church to look more like and visibly display the glory of God. So the scriptures are telling us here that you've been uniquely fashioned by God. What does this mean? Everyone in this room has natural inclinations. Every one of us, right? Some of you are leaning towards being an ear, a mouth, eye, nose, right? All those things that you naturally are driven to, architecture, teaching, athletics, compassion, mercy, prayer. Those are ways God wants to use them to make disciples in his body. You're supposed to be used in the ways that God has fashioned you to, so that as you go, you make disciples, some of us are bold. So you're just telling people about Jesus. Okay, you're not, you're not better than the foot who might be a little bit more meek, a little bit more quiet, engages in conversation, loves to get to know people, right? 
Some of you guys, man, in disciple making, you just got a really good understanding of the Bible, of the scriptures, so you're, you're using that just intrinsic, you know, just amazing mind that God has given you for the good of the church to help people understand the scriptures. Some of you guys, man, you just have a longing for prayer and a longing for looking to the outcast and the widow and the orphan, and so you're helping make disciples by your love for that, the way you've been woven by God in that way. These are all necessary because they're going to stretch all of us in the ways that we want to grow up in the fullness of what it looks like to image Jesus. And here's where it breaks down a step further, though. Biblically, okay, the way that God has primarily designed you and me to grow up in the fullness of Christian discipleship, to look most like the Son, Jesus, is within the local church. Okay? Now, I know some of you are going, okay, this is the eighth church I've been to in the last, so I'm good. I'm, the local church is doing that. That's not what I mean. Okay, I mean, he wants people identifying, getting under the leadership, having some way that they function in a way where their sin can be exposed, people can graciously come alongside them and walk in godliness for the good of their soul and growing up in Christ. We're gonna see why that's so important. Which is why if you are a covenant member here at Church at Bergen, that's huge. If you're not, man, land somewhere. Could be here, could be somewhere else, right? Just wherever you're gonna put your hand and say, yeah, this is, this is where God's called me to be a part of the bigger body in the local context. So wherever we land, we make disciples. This is why you're going to see over 58 one another's in the New Testament. Over 58. And you know where they're mostly aimed at? The local church. The people in those covenant communities. So when he says rebuke, encourage, love, exhort, those are all he knows primarily, Paul knows, those are around the people that you should be doing life the majority with. Doesn't mean, man, we want people out there with unbelievers. We want you to get out of your homes and share the good news and love your neighbor well. But I'm saying if, if you somehow use that as an escape to never get involved in the covenant community he's called you into by his grace, by his providential plan, put the pastors over you, the people around you, I'm saying you're a fool. I'm saying you're deceiving yourself and you're not going to grow as a disciple in the ways that God primarily designed it to happen. Because he loves you and he loves me and he wants us to understand what that is like. So he didn't simply create a person to save a person. You know, he's, he created a people to save a people. And that people, right, I mean, it was Israel in the Old Testament. They were the, the visible reflection of God. They were to stand out among all the other nations in the New Testament. And here we are at the church. More specifically, the local church that, that stands out by the way they live and operate together and grow up in Christ. So they can be a visible display of the glory of God. So let me just give a, a loving, gracious word here. You're not random here. Like, you've got to know that. Like, God didn't spin the wheel of fortune and just kind of, mm. all right, John, you need to go to Church of Bergen. That's just a, maybe that's a good fit. I mean, he in his providence and infinite sovereignty and wisdom said, hey, I'm after you looking and maturing and being a learning Christian for the glory of my name, so I'm going to put you here. That's beautiful. That it's not a mistake. That God's not like regretting his decision to put you in this faith family or everyone else who is in some local church that God is doing for the, the beauty of his name. This is a 
beautiful thing and a joy-filling thing. He wants us to grow in the likeness of Jesus. So the next question I'm going to ask at this point is, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, and if, you're, if this is where you consider this being like your church home, this is where you, you gather, are you or how are you actively taking in and flowing out to others? Both. How are you doing that? Just practically. How are you among the people here applying gospel truths to every area of your life? And with who? Um, Here's why I ask that. Some of us have constant intake with no outflow. Okay? Some of us have constant outflow and you got no intake. Okay? Here's what both will reveal about you and me. Here's what you're going to start realizing. Here's what should be clicking in your mind. You believe that you are the center of the universe. And you believe that the church is for you. And everything that happens is about you and how you want it to operate. So, man, yeah, I want to, like, I'll give, give, give to others, but no one's getting in my life. No, no one's, no one's checking up on me. No, one's, no, no sin's coming out of me. I'm, I'm not getting vulnerable. I'm not being transparent. But, yeah, I want to dig in everybody else. Or the other one, right? Yeah, everybody serve me. Make much of me. Yeah, ask about all my problems. Pray with me. But I'm not going to ask anyone else. I'm not going to love anyone else. I'm not going to engage with anybody else. I mean, I don't know where you land on that, but I'm saying, so what you're saying functionally, maybe even subconsciously is, okay, well, this church, man, it's really just about me. So give me all the programs I want. You make the subbership how I want it to look, and I don't want to do these other things. I want to just kind of make this about me, and however I feel comfy, that's how I'll settle in. That's not how God designed the church. He designed a receiving and walking from the covenant community of people. That happens when you're not making disciples. When you're not making disciples, that temperament in your heart begins to burn. And so then what happens is if someone ever comes along and graciously asks you about sin or exposes something, you either blame them for your sin or you run from God. Making disciples would say, praise God, thank you, let me press in, grow in grace, ask you how you are, avail myself for the good of my sanctification. Now let me clarify a step further Making disciples is not, does not mean just making friendships. Now, let me make a huge caveat here. There are people that God will call you to just grow in friendship with. And it's not a discipling relationship necessarily. That's totally okay. You're going to have a lot of people in this church where you're friends with them, right? But beyond that, there have to be people that you are making disciples with who are willingly receiving, you're willingly able to go in. There's trust, there's encouragement, there's, right? So, so it's not just, well, I hang out with so-and-so and we chat and it's awesome and we leave. Okay, that's great. You need that. You need to gather together. But, but, but who is the one, two, who, who are the people within this faith family that you're, you're able to walk in with and grow as a disciple, become a learning Christian of Jesus? That's why I just think we got to be so careful that church for us is not a spectator sport, right? Because if, if we're wired to just come into the stadium, just watch, you never get anywhere. You never do anything. You never mature. 
So you come in and you just, just watch. You enjoy watching the game. You enjoy the sermon. You enjoy the worship. You enjoy hearing the prayers. You might say hi to someone on your way out. That's it. But you realize you're missing the whole point. The whole point of God birthing and creating his church. Because they cannot magnify his name. They cannot grow it up into its head. So we're robbing ourselves the very gift God gave us for our joy. Now, part of this I want to show us. I know I'm just giving you a fire hydrant of stuff. Part of this teaching and obeying all he's commanded happens generationally. Discipleship can't predominantly and only happen with us walking with only people in our same season of life in our own ignorance. Okay? It can't. It can't happen. And I'll tell you why. The scriptures will encourage us in this way. Part of God's design is the mingling of generations. Older men with younger men. Younger men with older men. Older women with younger women. Younger women with older women. And when I say younger women, I mean like 20s and 30s. I'm in that camp. (laughs) Okay? I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm saying younger. When I say older, wise, I'm talking 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Because there's life experience. There is fruit there. I, I say over and over again, some of my favorite times where men in this church have pastored me is they are much older than me. And they know a lot more than me. And they're a lot more mature than me. And they've had a family for a lot longer than I have. So I am a fool to say, you don't really know what you're talking about. I don't really want to listen to you. I want to just get around people that are all in the same season of life. We all sound good together. We feel good together. Our pride's good together. Arrogance is good together, right? That was me for a long time. Then I stepped into pastor and got these older, wiser gentlemen, you know, Bill, Bob, Moises, these gracious men, right, who are coming into my life. I'm going, hold on a second. You know, I want to put the fence up, right? And then God just uses them to minister to my soul, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a disciple. All of a sudden I'm, I'm a learning Christian. I mean, one of, the, one of the marks of your heart right away is your refusal to learn. If you're refusing to learn, then you are not following the very thing that God says is best for your soul as a Christian. Look at what Titus says. Look what Paul says to Titus. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage, which I've been praying since we birthed the birthing of this church. Titus 2 says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much walk much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Paul builds out for Titus what Christian discipleship looks like in the context of the local church that Titus is pastoring. And he's saying, hey, older women, older men, you have a biblical responsibility to teach and encourage the younger men. And hey, younger boys, you have a responsibility to honor and submit to, out of Christ, these older men. Hey, and ladies, you, you older ladies who have more life experience, more growth in front of you, and, and more life to look back at, you have a biblical responsibility to pour into or teach these younger women, and same with the men. And younger women, you have a responsibility to submit to and love the older women who are in your covenant community. Beautiful. Beautiful, because here is what he's 
getting at. He's saying, man, this is for the good of both now. Some of you younger men, yes, man, you can equally encourage the older men. You can grow them in Christ. Women, too. It's not a one-way street. I, I was just, I was with a young man, 13 years old, like a year and a half ago, and I still remember my time with him. I, honestly, he was opening up his Bible. I went there, I was supposed to counsel him. He ended up counseling me. He was 13, okay? And he opened up his Bible, and in the Psalms, just started showing me all these places where he had learned, where he had grown, what he was, I was just blown away. And I left going, I was just discipled by a 13-year-old. I'm quitting the ministry. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, but listen, if that's your posture, if that's your heart, if you're humble enough to walk as a disciple, beautiful things will happen. Good things will happen. Christ will work and mold you and shape you by his grace. So how are you seeking this out and walking in it? If you're an older, wiser man or woman in this church, let me just say, we desperately need you, and we love you. We love you. We, we, you need to be here. And if you're a younger woman, younger man in this congregation, you need them. You need them. And vice versa. For the good of our souls, for growing up in Christ, for displaying more of his glory. So when that's happening in the local church, that's a powerful shaping force of Christian maturity and learning Christians growing up in Jesus. This is rare. Right, you go to most churches, what, what do you got? Just everybody's divided up. They're all the same, all monogamous. No, we want to see a mingling of generations here because the beauty of the gospel is displayed in that. Why does that 75-year-old man want to hang out with that 23-year-old? Why are they having dinner? Oh, the gospel's present. There's more happening there. Okay. Why does that person want to be vulnerable to that? Why is he admitting that? Oh, the gospel's there. There's a lot of beauty that happens when we start walking. So let me just give a few practical examples. I find most of us struggle with the how. Listen, let's not overcomplicate it. This is just, just a few examples. I just wrote these down. Discipleship happens when a guy who wants to get married doesn't have a game plan for how to do it. So he asks an older, seasoned man for guidance or advice. Takes him out for lunch. They talk through biblical principles. The older man commits to pray for the younger man. Available for questions. Starts walking with him. That's discipleship. <laughs> discipleship happens when a mom has two young children. Drops something off at an older mom's house that she left at something. And they get to talking. The young mom ex- expresses she feels like a failure. She isn't a good mom. She has false expectations. And the older mom listens to her, reminds her of scripture, applies the gospel to her life, encourages her, so she's available for encouragement. She can call her anytime. Discipleship happens when a brother notices another brother just running hard after his job, totally neglects his family. So he just comes alongside him to remind him of the true and lasting treasure in Jesus and a healthy perspective on his work. Discipleship happens when a single woman senses another single woman's discontentment with being single. She makes it a point to come alongside her for encouragement, reminding her there's no greater spiritual barometer to being married than being single. (laughs) That we have over-worshipped marriage. That our primary identity is not in husband-wife but in Christ. So we start applying gospel truths to their life. And she uses her singleness as worship, right? 
I go on and on, on and on and on. Um, just two examples from here like a year ago, and, th- and this is why some of you guys, a couple came in, uh, older, older couple came in and said, hey, we've been coming for a number of weeks, really just want to get connected. Tell me the, the thing I can plug into. Give me the program. I don't really have one for that, but I'll tell you how you can get connected and make disciples. There's a younger couple, they're getting married soon. You guys have been married for 30 years. Maybe just have them over for dinner and just encourage them in their marriage. If we're meeting with them for premarital, maybe you guys can just talk about that. And all of a sudden, now they're still meeting, still having dinner. Encouraging each other in the faith, what it means to walk in marriage for a long time. And as you're starting out, what that looks like, right? I had a, a guy come in who was single and same thing about six months ago. I want to get connected. I want to get plugged in. Okay, great. Well, there's this guy who's been coming. He's not a Christian. You, you seem to have a good grasp on the Bible. Why don't you invite him out for lunch Just start sharing with him how you became a Christian? And why you love Jesus. I want to get connected though. I know. Make disciples. Like just, that, that's what the church has been called to do, guys. We have overcomplicated it. We have made all these programs and all these other things, all these things. No, it's because we don't want to do the hard work, really, if we're honest. I think. I think we just like to live comfortable and have these big things and big programs so everybody's still at arm's length. What happens one-on-one relationally, getting in and making disciples with each other. Now, I, I just want to say at this point, I, we're going to be rolling out community groups um, in the next number of weeks where we gather for studying the Word, where we gather for prayer, we gather for fellowship. Um, I believe they will be one primary avenue to begin engaging in Christian discipleship. Um, now, some of you guys cringe at that idea. <laughs> You just, even now you're like, oh, community groups. I just have terrible memories of that, terrible experiences with that. That's the last thing I want to do. Um, And if that's you, I believe a reason might be pride or fear. I'm not saying this is the only avenue. We want you involved doing something, actively walking with someone within your covenant community. But I believe it might be fear or pride. And and here's what I mean. Um, We're afraid to rub shoulders with people that we don't know or are unfamiliar with because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. So what you'll say is, it'll go like this. I don't want to do life with them because then they'll all know my junk. So if I do life with them, you know, I don't want them to know that I'm struggling in my marriage or that I'm addicted to pornography or that I'm a lazy spouse or that I'm addicted to this vice or that vice. And my question to you is, well, are you struggling in your marriage? Are you addicted to pornography? Are you struggling with this vice or lack of prayer? Because or... if you are, then that's a really weird game you're playing. Because, because then you think, well, I won't be vulnerable at all with anybody, and so then I'm not going to grow at all as a disciple or a learning Christian, and I'll just stay planted in isolation or on my island and never get anywhere. So, so all of a sudden what happens is when you get into community that, that maybe you're unfamiliar with, you vocalize something. It doesn't have to be out of your comfort zone or you're still trying to trust, but eventually as you vocalize that, what happens? The whole climate shifts. All of a sudden, hey, yeah, how can I pray for you in that? Man, how can I love you well in that? You know, wow, I struggle with that. That's a besetting sin in my life. Can we walk together and encourage and apply the gospel to those areas of life? But you'd never know if you never went and, and found out that that was true of that other person. You'll never get to know the people God has sovereignly placed in the church around you, right? Those things would never bubble up. Now, I know as I'm, as I'm saying this, you're saying, but if I commit to a community group or I enter into discipleship with someone, they might betray me. Yes, they might. Can I just free you from that burden? Yeah, they might. 
And then what's that an opportunity for? Discipleship. To rebuke, to engage, to get involved in, hey, that's not what we do. That's not what a Christian does. We love, we walk with, we exhort. We don't betray, right? You're still practicing Christian discipleship because here, let me tell you something. You know no one is going to love Jesus more because you or I are awesome. Like, do you understand that? Like, it's, it's I'm in need, and Christ is the only sufficient one to meet that need. So no one is growing up in Christ because you and me look awesome. Like, if all community is to you and all walking is discipleship is, is us just saying, yeah, I'm killing it here, I'm killing it here, I'm never struggling, everything's always good, then you're never going to grow. No one's going to love Christ. No one's going to see their need for him, Right? So, so no one comes to Jesus or loves him more or is built up in him because you and me is awesome. It's I'm in need, I'm a stumbler, I'm a faller, I'm a, I'm a baby, I'm an adolescent, I'm maturing, I'm, I'm here, I'm there, I don't know. But man, all I know is Christ is good for me. All I know is Christ met my need and so I'm not perfect, I'm repentant. And that's what we are here, guys. It's not a group of perfect people, a group of repentant people. And listen, I will say this to, to the members in the covenant community, no matter how grievous the sin, there's repentance, you're welcome here. When there's not repentance, we need to do some work. We need to do some surgery. We need to do some examination. Why is that? Why is that? Talk about membership here. We're not kicking you out. We're not letting you attend. But I'm saying we want to grow up in Christ. We want to grow up into the head which is Jesus. And I always say it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay there. Don't stay there. Tell somebody. Let's walk. Let's pursue I feel like I'm just bringing a lot this morning. This is high level still. <laughs> um, I'm just going to end by saying that this isn't going to look the same for everyone, guys. We're all parts of the body. And listen, um, don't beat yourself up by what you're not doing. Don't do that. Just start doing something, one thing. Maybe get wise people around you to pray with you, think, listen. How you're wired, what you love, people you connect with, the stage of life you're in, and then just start there and see what God will do. We do not want to make Christians busy here. I cannot, oh, I know this is countercultural to so many how so many of us have grown up in church. This is why we've got to hear what, how we kind of think here. Okay, we don't want people to get busy, we want Christians built up in Christ. So we're not going to throw at you 10,000 programs to do. You're never going to be discipled that way. Okay, you need to be engaging with the people God's already sovereignly put around you, maybe stepping out of your comfort zone, maybe, maybe praying, maybe joining in something that will create a lane for discipleship to happen. But those things in themselves are not discipling because we want to grow up in, in Christ. There's so many ways this happens, so many things that happen in this, but we want to see people build up. Here's one final piece in order for us to flourish in making disciples, and this goes for, for all of us, including myself. We have got to decide to mortify the idolatry of putting up the veneer to look better than our neighbor. We gotta do that. We've, it's got to happen. Like, if we don't decide to do that, if you don't decide to live that way, you will never grow into the fullness of Christ as a Christian learner making disciples as you go. If your way of living has always been, and that's what's dangerous, if it's always been, I just put the veneer, and I love how I look to others, 
I'm never vulnerable or honest. And I know that's the majority of us, including me. We'll damn ourselves. The church will not give glory to God. It will not look like the great Christ who's sufficient for every need. It'll look like a group of people who don't need the Christ who's sufficient because we're sufficient in ourselves, which is a lie about what Christ is like. Let me just, I, I saw this, uh, Timothy. Paul says this to Timothy. This is amazing. I'll just read it to you. You can look, First Timothy 1. This is amazing what Timothy says in regards to this veneer of, of looking better. This is his autobiography right before he's beheaded, okay? He's gonna list his accolades, right? No, he lists all his sins. <laughs> Crazy, look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 12. Paul writes this to Timothy in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came in the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ, what, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe him for eternal life. What is Paul saying? Hey, I could end this letter, right? Seal up the New Testament. I'm inspired by God. Tell you all the reasons I'm awesome. All the people got saved through my preaching. How I'm an amazing writer. You're reading it. God himself's writing through me. No, what does he lay before you? All his sin. There's no veneer. There's there's nothing up. Why? Because he goes, I'm hidden in Christ. I mean, Christ is my righteousness. So so what's the point? Yeah, that's who I was. Yeah, that's where where my struggles were. But man, this is who I am now. This is what Christ has made me. This is what's true about my position before him. I'm adopted, loved, secure. I find that to be profound. (laughs) I find what Paul does here to be profound. And I think a model for how we ought to live and communicate our lives. And just being honest and real, appropriately, as we're able, with wisdom, for the good of our souls. And amazing, he said, that displays Christ and his perfect patience. That because I was the chief of sinners and God showed mercy to me, and I was admitting that and I was aware of that, man, that just was a catalyst for the gospel and for the glory of God to flow. So he boasts in his sin, not in an arrogant way, in a humble way, because he knew he was already made righteous by Christ crucified. So he goes, here I am. This is me. You imagine being a part of a community like with those types of people that are so keenly aware of their own need for grace that they don't sit and judge everybody else. All they do is think about them inwardly, where they need to grow in grace. And so then there's, there's humility there, there's life there, there's grace there. Let me just end with just, uh, just two thoughts. Um, some of you this morning, uh, you feel so stale and stuck in your relationship with Jesus. And, and you are a Christian, you are a disciple, but whether it's a besetting sin in your life, whether it's something that happened to you in your past, whether it's you just feel dry. Okay, maybe some of the best and most helpful things you can do when you go home or even in prayers we close the service, you just lay on the table before the God of the universe all the reasons you think he can't love you. 
and then let him remind you of all the ways he does love you before you even did those things. Like he knew what you were going to be like. Like he, he knew the besetting sin that would be in you right now. Like he didn't save you and now he's stopping going, I don't know, now they're kind of like falling in this or now they're thinking about their past or getting woven in this, this dry spell so now I'm going to relent my love somehow. No, it's, it's based on nothing you do. And just hear him say to you this morning, painful, painful. I'm Christ's righteousness. He took my sin. He became my sin. Just maybe you just need that. Maybe that's all you need to then get you on the horse to begin looking and, and actively pursuing Christian discipleship with somebody. Maybe, that, maybe that's part of the thing that, that's hindering you. The other thing I would say for others of you is um, you've never really had any concept ever of Christian discipleship. So your whole life has been program-driven and not people-driven. So, so what you thought was by hopping to all these different ministries and programs, that would grow you in godliness. Those are not meant to grow you in godliness. They're to produce lanes so you can relationally interact and walk in Christian discipleship with other people. And, and so maybe you're, you're doing that with church too. You don't belong anywhere. And God's just saying, hey, attend somewhere. Put your hand in somewhere so you can grow in grace. Don't rob yourself of that joy. It's when you connect relationally where iron starts to sharpen iron. You start opening up your life. I know that takes time, guys. It's going to take the remainder of our life together as a church. Okay? But we love that, like, fix me right now. I'm going to go to that conference. It's going to, boom. It's going to do everything. I don't need to talk to anybody. Don't need to get deep with anybody. Don't need to expose any sin. or conv- I'm just going to sit, enjoy it, get so fired up and do nothing. <laughs> Isn't that the story? So many of us, including myself, right? There's beauty the way the Bible shows us. And the last thing I want to just answer is why does making disciples matter? At the end of the day, why do we aggressively go after this? Why do we want to push us to do this? To engage in community groups, to engage in discipling relationships, to walk alongside one another in a way of a covenant community where we can expose sin, talk about sin honestly, apply the gospel to every area of our life. Why do we do this? Because back to the first, God's chief desire and aim is that he would be glorified. And so as we start walking and living, if the church is where he wants his glory to shine right now before he fully returns in the consummation of all things with Jesus, who is the very radiance of his glory, if that's what his goal is for us, for church at Bergen and for his church, then what we're doing is as we walk openly and honestly before one another, with one another, as we start exposing sin, growing in grace, joy grows in our hearts, which means more worship grows in our hearts, which means then more praise is given to to God for the glory of his name. So, so this is all to serve the beginning end of why we exist. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples, learning Christians of Jesus. Also, now we're going to see next week, only happening through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's going to be a fun one. Okay, that's, that's how all this happens ultimately, but even in the discipling uh, nature of it. But we want to make learners of Christians so that God might be praised, so that joy might well up in your heart, and so that he might be worshipped. That's why. Because that's what he wants, and that's what he's after. And so we're fools to think, I don't want to do how you've designed it. I want to try something new. Now let's just walk how he's called us to. Let's, let's make disciples. Let's, let's pray and ask God for help. Um, just want to remind us, no one is perfect in this room, including myself. We're a big, goofy, beautiful mess. And Christ is sufficient. Christ is beautiful. Christ is good. Christ is sinless. We are not. Christ is holy. We are not. 
Christ lived the perfect life. We did not. Christ is our substitute. We are not our own substitute. Christ knew you before you were born. You did not. Christ fashioned you in your womb, in the womb of your mom. You did not. He knows your gifts. He knows how you're wired. He knows the draws in your heart. And he wants to use, the, use all of those things to shape, refine, and grow you in maturity towards the head of the church, which is Christ, so that his name might be brought massive glory, unadulterated glory. Would you just ask him for help? Maybe ask him for wisdom. Maybe there's someone coming to mind who you might extend yourself to or reach out to. Maybe it's okay. Yeah, I'm going I'm to step in and sign up for community groups in, in two weeks when they're rolled out. I'm just going to step of faith. Unfamiliar people, it's scary, it's fearful, but I believe God's for me. He's for my joy. He's for my growth and godliness. Maybe it's committing to putting down the veneer of the idol of looking better than your neighbor. Ask God for grace. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Christ loves you and demonstrated his love in absorbing the wrath of God towards the sin that you were to be damned for, that you were to hang for. And he says, those that trust in me and repent of their sin and believe in what I have done alone, man, you're his. You're adopted into a family. And then you're to walk and mature as his follower and disciple. To be a Christian is an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. Repent of your sin and trust Christ this morning. Throw on the table all the reasons you think he can't love you and then stare at the cross of Christ where he shed his blood and was slaughtered for you in your sin and buried it and rose again, validating that he is victorious over it, that he has full authority to do it. God, we need you. We need you as a faith family. God, we know that making disciples was never meant to be easy. God, we know that making disciples was never meant to be something that happened naturally or an inclination that was normal. God, we know that we have to resist and go against the residual effects of the fall that remain in us while we are being made new. God, I pray that you would help us to take this seriously. God, you would help us to actively engage in making disciples. God, predominantly here so that it might reverberate out among the larger church and the larger nations. God, may we be a people that is marked by that, that we encourage that, that we engage in that. God, thank you that we're all sinners in this room. Thank you that no one has figured it out and no one pulled themselves up to claim heaven outside of you coming down and rescuing us on your own. So we have no boasting in that. Give us grace-filled lives, a humble posture that loves you. And as we take the Lord's Supper now, as we remember your blood that was shed and your body that was broken, may we celebrate that and enjoy that so that worship might culminate to enjoy your name in Jesus' name, amen.